Hello, and welcome back to The X Show. I am your host, as always, Tony Shu. And today with me, I have a wonderful special guest, Judith Peck. She's a professor, and uh, let, me, let me give it to her to explain what exactly she does. What exactly I do? <laughs> That's a long question. I do a lot. Well, I'm a sculptor, mainly. I make uh, lots of uh, figures, mostly people. I just uh, came off this month, a few uh, about one week ago, of a large show of Ladies of Steel on the Dag Hammarskjöld Plaza in New York City on 2nd Avenue and 47th Street. It's the gateway to the UN. We had to end the show. The General Assembly is about to begin, and so we left those ladies away. But uh, I'm also a writer. I've written about eight or ten books, and one of which is the one we're going to talk about today, a new one published by Rutledge. And a uh, mother of four children, all grown. Uh, and uh, anything else you want to know, <laughs> we'll save for later. <laughs> right. That's right. Let's go ahead and get into it. So as uh, as she mentioned, uh, she wrote a book, excellent book. It's about uh, dynamic play and how that, uh, in effect, how that affects children in during their development. Uh, could you explain a little bit more about what dynamic play is, Judith? Right. Well, dynamic play really means, from the word dynamic, very forceful movement, energy. It's dynamic. It is not still. It's not quiet. It's uh, moving with purpose. Moving with purpose, I would say, is the best uh, uh, explanation. You could even use the word explosive, except that uh, because uh, di in dynamite there is plenty of purpose behind the explosions. Uh, so I like that too. Uh, <clears throat> but it's a, uh, uh, a, a way that children can use everything they came factory installed with. And I'd love to tell hmm. you more about that as we go on. Yeah, let's let's go into it. So what do you mean by, you know, it's a way that they do everything that the factory installed with? Yeah, and it really is that way. In other words, they come with tremendous physical energy, imagination, and an urgency for self-expression. Now, remember those three things, because that's those are the ingredients that we can use for joyful education. Mm. Energy, which they plenty of, and you know that if they can run, they will run and not walk, certainly not sit, right? And if they're sitting, a leg will be swinging under the table and they'll probably be beating some time to music too at the same time. And the imagination, even the baby in the crib, you know, uh, knows nothing factually, knows no logistics about things, but everything, the mobile moving above, the sounds coming through, uh, the walls, uh, and a music, if there is one, faces uh, expressing themselves to him or her. Uh, all these things, he's imagining what's happening and all that. He doesn't know anything. So the imagination is flourishing along with all those neural connections, billions of neural connections at this time uh, in working out uh, mm -hmm. to uh, have him learn. And then, of course, we know his expression. He will cry. He will scream. I'm using the word he. I have to do that a little bit to shorten <laughs> this interview. Otherwise, it'll be quite long. Uh, and uh, he uh, is looking at people's faces and knowing if it's friend or foe, knowing if it's frightening, knowing if it's friendly. Uh, all this is happening in the early years and from the cradle on. Those three ingredients are used 
all the time to learn. And at the same time, he's doing these three things, using physical energy, using his imagination, and using that need for self-expression. He is learning to survive, really, and to grow. In a sense, for dynamic players, allowing them to express themselves and figure things out and learn uh, learn using their own kind of experiences. So how do you, how would you say that it differs from, you know, the more traditional kinds of uh, play that, that we, that we grew up with? Oh, that's a terrific question. I'm happy to answer that. And I'll tell you the one ingredient that can be used for that. And that is self confidence. <clears throat> Excuse me. I have an imaginary frog in my throat, I think. <laughs> anyway, um, so the point is that um, self-confidence gives one the motoring ability to be able to go on to learn, to be able to speak what you think you have as a thought. You cannot express a thought if you have no confidence. You know that. We all know that. You just withdraw. You sit on the background. You, uh, you disappear within, you know. So self-confidence mm-hmm. is and dynamic play and creative movement, powering body and brain, which is the full title of this book, does all that. And I will tell you the sequences we use to be able to promote the self-confidence that will allow the rest to come. And the rest is so natural to a child, so absolutely natural, using those, uh, as I say, ingredients that he was born with. Um, You'll see how it flowers to uh, become joyful learning and it, joyful learning right too right right it, it sounds to me and and you can correct me obviously um that it, it's almost like you're you're teaching your child emotional intelligence through the principles of dynamic play because it's not like the you know the traditional forms of education where they're reading or they get read to and stuff like that. They're, they're really learning to express themselves in the emotional manner, build up that confidence and self-esteem that, um, that oftentimes, oftentimes might get ignored. I would like to build on the word you just used, serenity. You talked about emotional intelligence, you know, and all that. But you used the word serene in there, too. And uh, one of the books I wrote, Smart Starts in the Arts, Fostering Intelligence, Creativity, and Serenity, builds on that because when you feel okay with yourself against the world with the world you are serene and you can then open your mind to all these other elements so emotional intelligence uh, is certainly there when you sit in a circle which is the first thing that the children would do and we're talking about children from three to eleven years old this is the the age within which this kind of dynamic play is possible after that it isn't so easy to do uh, with middle school and, and beyond so you sit in a circle and you discuss something let's say you're discussing can i give you an example yes go ahead I'll give you an example. <laughs> uh, you're discussing nature And uh, you talk about uh, what flies, for example, that might be a topic. And then somebody might mention the butterfly and other things. And then you talked about, well, what does the butterfly look like? What does it move like? Uh, What does it behave like? And all these things. And you discuss all these things. 
and the child who says, well, the butterfly has interesting patterns about it. It has wonderful colors and all that. And somebody picks that up. You know, that's true. The butterfly um, is always different. One butterfly is always different from another and so forth. And then you want to interpret what that butterfly looks like. Well, if you were not sitting in a circle and you're not talking about colors and patterns and uh, uh, and other things, how the butterflies, how it alights, how it takes off, you would just flap your wings around in a circle. Somebody would say, mm. what's the butterfly look like? And you would start to fly in a circle. But here, you're really going into that um, beautiful aspect of nature. And you learn that it doesn't just scoop down like an eagle might or, uh, or a blackbird looking for prey. It sort of floats down, almost like a helicopter. And then you have all of those other references. So the child who makes these observations and is picked up by other children who actually interpret it with their bodies, what do you think this does to self-confidence and the feeling of serenity or emotional balance that you're okay, you fit in? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it works. Oh, it's it's you're talking about the giving the child the freedom to express themselves and to be able to do so with you know with confidence, thereby building it up and allowing them to communicate and, and carry and carry on those benefits uh, later on in life. Because I mean, and I think you'll agree, we all agree on this here, is that childhood development affects uh, people pretty much for the rest of their lives. They're, these are formative years that are that are critical to the that are critical and can really inform and guide how people act uh, later on. I, I'm curious. So when we're looking at when you're looking at um, you know actually incorporating the elements of dynamic play into into say say parenting, I mean, what, what's what's kind of principles that guide what's kind of principles that guide that uh, incorporation. Uh, when you're incorporating it into learning itself, it, what was the, uh, where are you incorporating this into? I didn't get that word. Uh, incorporating it into, you know, a, a parent, someone who's raising a child during those uh, formative years, how would they be able to successfully put dynamic play into action? What, what would that look like for okay. them? I will. I'll give you an example that you really, you mean, how can you incorporate dynamic play into formal education, uh, in, in a sense, uh, that way, and into patterns that uh, the uh, child could use later on? Uh, so I think that's uh, the question. Well, let me give you an example. The child is sitting in the classroom uh, behind a desk, and the lesson is droning on, right? And they're talking mm-hmm. about whatever they're talking about. And meanwhile, the child, because of physical energy, imagination, and the need for expression, which permeates everything, he's looking out the window and he's watching a squirrel climb up a tree and go from branch to branch, from twig to twig, without falling, without being afraid like he is, you know, afraid all the mm-hmm. time of things. And the squirrel has such bravery uh, and is so, is so high in the tree that his mind is there. That's where his mind is. Wouldn't it be wonderful to be able to capture 
where the child's mind is, where he needs to have the expression of the fear he has against such odds to be able to be so brave and all that. And also, how does the squirrel manage to do that? Of course, there's a lot of locomotion in the tail and balance of the tail and all that. There is so much science involved in that whole lesson. It would be wonderful if, for example, a lesson was looking out the window and all the children go to the window and look out and comment on what they see of that window. And then the lesson builds on those things. Perhaps the teacher takes some notes. You can't do it all at once. But the mm-hmm. teacher, not only is the lesson interesting to the children, but the child who mentions something and is picked up by the others as a thought, and even by the monumental teacher, has enormous self-confidence that will, in a sense, be a pattern that really guides him later on. You know, with that kef- kef- you know, confidence, a kid feels, you know, something, I'm good at this. I'm good at this. What's the next thing? Just like in sports. When you learn to bat a home run, my God, you can't wait to get at the bat the next day. Right. That may, that makes, I mean, that makes sense. It's, it's again, coming back to the, going back to, you know, letting them use um, what, what they're to be built for their limbs and their locomotion and, and letting go for that self-expression. I, I'm, I'm curious, but though, considering the needs of, you know, structured education, because there are certain topics that that I they hear in the Western world. I grew up in Canada, so I'm not entirely certain if they're the same here in the U.S. But uh, you know, stuff like uh, mathematics, stuff like mathematics, the sciences, and and uh, history and stuff like that. How do we? How do you look to balance out needing to hit those kind of particular educational milestones with this dynamic play? Because it sounds like this dynamic play is very well. It's it's in the name. It's it's dynamic. It comes up of the moment, and it's has a certain spontaneity of it. And you can't exactly plan that a squirrel, in your example, just come by the window, but you have to take advantage of it when it's there. So, how would we go about incorporating that while still hitting those kind of milestones? This is a very fair question, and I'm happy to answer it. Because dynamically is not all day, and it's not every day, and it's not in every semester as you go forward in the great in the higher grades. Uh, there are enormous opportunities in the book spelled out in the book to use this in history lessons, to use it in science lessons, to use it in um, uh, social science certainly uh, in many different areas, and we we spell out how you can do that uh, in architecture, in in art, design dance, music, concerting, uh, instruments of music, and so forth. But the point is, when one succeeds in achieving learning and having it shared by other people, that confidence that is instilled when you use this dynamic play pervades every other course you go into. I am good at this. I will succeed. You have a sense of future, a sense of success Uh, the sense of accomplishment that accompanies you with everything you do. I've seen it happen. I've seen it happen with my four kids, all four of them. Uh, They sort of grew up on this, but they love science. One went into medicine. All four are achieving people and uh, and really outstanding in their field and uh, unique, too, uh, doing very unusually 
uh, impressive things that are pervading other campuses and other lives. So uh, it, it works. It works. Uh, it can't be for every grade. You cannot uh, mix a vessel uh, with hydrogen and, uh, you know, chloride and something else, you know, and try to get the right mix with the dynamic play. Uh, <laughs> you are going to uh, definitely do more sophisticated things. Right. That makes sense. I mean, in, in a sense, where you're talking about adding a, a social education component to the formal education, because, and I do think there's a lot of validity in that. Um, you know, growing up, therefore, I remember we had a lot of classes, but they were prime, they were like 95, 99% of them were focused upon, were focused upon knowledge, uh, you know, various different, fa various different facts and, uh, and the, and the more academic, academically oriented subjects. But there really isn't a, as much attention in a formal education setting to those to to the rest of a child's um, or what to the rest of a child's upbringing, you know their their mental status, their mindset, their, their mental health, and the the social education of how they just interact in a group and be able to develop a develop a functioning personalities. And so, in, in your opinion, you know if if you know, different different families have different ways of approaching uh, childcare, and some of them like to go more of a, shall I say, disciplinarian approach uh, towards how they raise children. What do you think would be the impact? Do you think? Well, well, first, do you think there's a way to balance out this need, this uh, this self expression, and also maintain that kind of discipline within the household at the same time, or are those um, contradictory goals. Well, you've asked a number of questions there, and I really don't want to skip over the first one. When you talked about social relationships, because that was the first thing you, you talked about. And this uh, dynamic play and creative movement and the powering body and brain all works into that because nowadays kids absolutely need to be social. They need to learn how to be social. Uh, they're all committed to their iPhones and their uh, in social media and their work alone, you know, facing a screen and, and all that and not facing a human warm body uh, and holding uh, onto an arm uh, and all that. Of course, it happens in sports, but even there, they're isolated in a way, you know, they are a team, but they can be quite isolated. So I think that is important uh, to, to, uh, to, to use the need for socialization uh, by the things that I mentioned, sitting around talking about the, the project at hand and, uh, and then uh, having a way to interpret it yourself and then other people interpreting your idea. Uh, all that works towards socialization. It also, um, getting into the discipline aspect that you mentioned, uh, you know, it's easier to control young children, if we're talking now about younger children, through mm -hmm. imagination, through a wavy line instead of a straight line from here to there. An imaginative life, just one little wave can make the discipline. Can I give you an example? Please do. Okay. Here, uh, it's, uh, actually, it's in, in the book. Mrs. Wigglebaum is coming 
to tea. And the child has a very, very messy room. It's just a mess. The toys are all over. The clothes are all over. Everything's all on the floor. And you approach uh, the door and you say, my goodness gracious, Mrs. Wicklebaum is coming to tea in this very room we're serving. How can we possibly do this? She'll break her neck. And Mr. Wigglebaum, my goodness, what's going to happen to him? So can this room be cleaned enough for the tea? I don't know. Well, of course it can. I will be back in 10 minutes and see what you can do. And so you leave, and then you come back with an imaginary Mrs. Wigglebaum on your arm, you know. And, uh, and of course, it's a little more tidy than it was. Maybe not great, but it's great. She's already set out the teacups with the, with the little stuffed animals around uh, and everything else. But the point is not that only that it's an imaginative move to make, but it gives the child a real reason to clean the room. Somebody's coming. So there you have a lesson learned. It's not just doing it because your mother said so and because she said do it or else or anything like that. So discipline becomes so much easier and so much more joyful and happy too because it ends up with a happy uh, occasion. And yet the child has gotten a lesson. Yeah, we have to basically tidy. When company's coming, we tidy up. And not only that, it's not so bad to tidy up. I can find where everything is now. <laughs> So you see, I can, that's only one of a zillion of ways that any human being can figure out uh, something a little amount, just wait one second, and something will come to mind to make discipline extremely, not only easy, but rewarding. So I, I'm that, all... That, that, that makes sense. You're giving the child the complete picture. Of why of why it is important to do what they're doing, rather than and, and I think uh, I certainly had this experience growing up, and and this would be a common one of simply being told you have to do it, but not understanding, no knowing, no being, not knowing even when you ask, uh, being told why it is that you're doing what it is. And not only that, but you know sometimes there is discipline that needs to be simply because you have to do this. I mean, there are things that happen. A child cannot cross the street, you know, without looking and being careful and, and all that and step down into the curb and do all sorts of things. And then you, you, it can be easily explained. And so the child understands it and the child will understand that. But the child really doesn't understand about cleaning the room, does it? I mean, yeah. why? Why clean the room? It's just perfect this way. I know where everything is. <laughs> so there's no reason. Only when there's a reason, of course, that is very uh, important to explain to the child. Of course, it has to be done. Well, it, it's it seems like it's when the reason is not uh, immediately apparent, obvious to the child. I mean, any, any kid, well, most kids, I can't can't make any broad statements here, but most kids, I, I, I think, understand that if a fast car is moving and they hit you, if you cross the sidewalk at the wrong moment, that's a natural consequence. But for more abstract things like cleaning your room or doing, or perhaps doing your homework or, um, or any, or any variety of things where the benefits are more abstract and not immediately apparent in a very physical manner. There is there is a lot of value in that kind of approach, and uh, and I think it lends uh, a lot of a lot of um, credence that um, that there are that these are 
you know, life, life and, and uh, child rearing can be complicated. And there's not always a, a one panacea cure all solution for everything that you take and you have to take it as it comes. Can I add to that? Uh, the idea of the discipline and the chores and the things like that, uh, easily they can be made into a game. And it's not as if the parent, well, it's not a game. You've got to do this stuff and all that. And they want to instill that obligation. But look what you can do. You can do instill the obligation and still make it a game just the same way. With laundry, think about all the things you can do. Think of the sports and the accomplishments that you can uh uh, make out of any of these chores that you have to do. You're not diminishing the fact that you're doing a chore by doing that. I know my son, uh, he used to, when he had to sweep the floor, he would have armies on both ends of the room and conflicting armies. And these crumbs and these uh, debris that he found, wow, he would make the piles of those debris. And I didn't even know what he was doing. He was talking the whole time, you know, and yelling and sometimes not talking at all, just whisking that broom around. And I knew an army uh, in great battle was being fought on my kitchen floor. But these things didn't diminish the fact that he was doing the, the chore. They finally got done. I mean, it took him a long time to fill up the dustpans because, it, you know, he was on one side and not the other. So <laughs> he wanted the, uh, the conflict to last a little longer. But, you know, always the child will find a way because of what I said, physical energy, imagination, and the need for expression. Those things pervade all these things. And he... You, uh, it didn't take away, it only added to the chore at hand and the obligation. And fulfilling so, the obligation with a, a sense of both purpose and fun. Right, and I, and I think it requires a, a level of creativity on behalf of the the adult or the or the older individual. Uh, because you you really have to observe the situations as they come and take advantage of the opportunities as they present. And, yes, I, and I think that's uh, I'm sorry to interrupt you, uh, Tony, but I <laughs> want to tell you that that is where the fun comes in. When the mother, let's say, or the father takes just a bare second to think of another way to do it with imagination, they have a good time of it, too. And instead of a conflict between the parent and the child, you have a fun game kind of a thing. And yet it doesn't diminish. The idea somebody might be saying, well, all life is not all fun and games. It isn't, but a hell of a lot more could be if you really opened up your mind to some imagination. Right. Like not everything in the, not everything in life is great, but that doesn't mean that we can't make at least, at least as much as we can good. So I'm curious. So, you know, what do you think of the impacts? on a child as they're growing up, if these, if, if they don't get these opportunities to express themselves, I mean, how does that, how does that impact them when they, when they're developing? And I can see from your head shaking that uh, you might have a lot to say about this. I don't know because I've seen, I've seen it happen and it's very disturbing. What happens is that, um, I, if you have a lot of conflict with a parent, you know, you end up walking away from that parent and making choices that may not be the best for you because you've never really had a chance to be imaginative enough to make choices. 
all through life, you have to make choices. You're making bad choices. You're making silly choices. You're making sometimes ridiculous choices. But they are choices that you are living with with the moment, for the moment. And you yourself discover the consequences of them. And boy, when you discover those consequences, they last with you too. So this whole ability to be able to be free, to do what you're doing, to learn the way you want to learn, to enjoy learning, to have a joyful experience with both the work that you're doing, the chores that you're doing, the obligations that you have, the discipline that you must attend to, uh, and uh, the studies that you have to achieve with. If you can do it, with a positive way that, okay, I, this is it. This is part of life. I love it. And I'm doing it well. I don't like some of it, but okay. After I do this, I'll get to do the stuff that I really like. And all that. There's always these um, little rewards you give yourself throughout life. But the point is to make a human being come out of it that can make good choices. Because the inability to make choices can really lead you down the devil's path, so to speak. That's where we don't want to go. Right. I think that choices. That the confidence that you're good at making choices, that you're good again, the confidence comes. We all come back to that. Uh, and you've had some experience that has been good, and you've learned to forgive yourself when it isn't. And sometimes the games can help you with the forgiveness aspect of when you sort of screw up, you know. So uh, these, uh, this tiny waiting for a moment before you have an imaginative idea pays off a lot in the end. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think there's a, there's a lot of credit to that. Uh, choices are, in, in my mind, almost, almost like a muscle. It's something you have to exercise because you have to get stronger and better at it. Because, I mean, as a child, yeah, my parents would probably say a lot about the choices I made, and they're probably not all very great. But I like to think that I'm pretty good at making choices now because I made a lot of choices before, and uh, you have. And there's no, and, and in a sense, it's almost like there's no substituting for an ex, for experiences. You have to build up that sort of repertoire or, or, or resume or history with uh, various experiences to really understand uh, what it is that what it, what kind of choices will lead more likely to what it is that you're going for what kind of better choices can you make uh, so I'm curious I mean how do you think that you know if, if we were to com- make a comparison of a somebody who grew up incorporating dynamic play and somebody who didn't how would you describe them being different as adults okay uh, I can do that because I can see it in my own experience what happens. I can, I can actually pit one against the other to see. Uh, let's talk about the one who did not have that choice, uh, those uh, kind of things. Uh, they were told to do this, they did that. They were told to do that, they did that. They were deprived from this and they accepted it. And then they uh, were, had bounty in this and they accepted that. Uh, all those choices were made for them. Uh, it, it confronted them. It came to them, some good, some bad, some, you know, uh, that were not so terrific. We are not alone in this world. People are coming to you all the time, and they are making your choices for you. How many times in high school, my God, is somebody coming up to you and making your choice for you, telling you this is the thing <laughs> I can see you're down. I can see already you don't feel good. You're going to feel good when you take this. Believe me, you will. And 
you have to succumb sometimes to these things. You shouldn't, of course, and you, but you are invaded by other people all the time. Uh, they will make your choices for you, just like your mother did early on, or your father did early on, by not giving you any boundaries, any bounds, I should say, exactly the opposite. They gave you only boundaries, and, uh, and they were within those boundaries, and you stayed within those boundaries very, very rigidly. So you, you don't have that expansive nature by which you can explore and, uh, and, and uh, have the guts to make your own decision to stand up to all the uh, decision makers who will be around you. Uh, the older you get, the more that will happen. My God, I just feel so sorry uh, for young people who have to emerge into the world without that structure of both confidence and the uh, courage that they can stand alone and make their own decisions when they need to. And I think there's, I, I think that also that um, when you don't make those kind of choices, you don't have the, you haven't been empowered to make those choices yourself. That becomes a situation where that's what you know. And you don't necessarily know that there's a better way out there. Um, and I, and, and, uh, and when you don't know that there's a better way out there, that can cause a lot, that can cause a lot of sticking in situations where you, where I, I'm sure, I'm sure a lot of people have seen it. I, I certainly see it on stuff like reality TV. It's perfectly well, easily available. Where you see people in situations and you're almost like screaming at the television, telling them these are this is a terrible idea. Why don't you think that you should do? Why don't you just leave him or leave her? Do this, do that, and uh, that's that's honestly hyperbole. But there are, but I, I think there's a real risk of that kind of stuff happening if you don't understand what how to set boundaries and empower yourself because you've just never been allowed to allowed to when you were growing up and thereby you never experienced what it was like and may not even realize that it's something that's possible uh that that's possible for you because i i i can't quite remember who said it but you know um there's a there's a saying that if you're not is that uh, the steam the one who is steamrolled over chose to be that way and there's certainly a level of victim blaming that's victim blaming that's in that statement but it's also is some truth and in some ways the person who you can do you can in most situations do something about it it just may not be something that you're able to or, or that you recognize or feel that you are that you are empowered to do so well, that word power means a lot it's only not only power to do, but power to forgive yourself. I forgive myself all the time. I'm running around. I'm saying, wow, you do screw that up really good and fine, you know. But that's okay, you know what I mean? <laughs> because you uh, did something the other day that was really terrific, you know. You absolutely opened that peach at the perfect time, and it was delicious. You made this little action that was just perfect so every once in a while you make a perfect action or you say just the right thing to someone that actually eased them that made them see something different 
or you simply listen to somebody who never did listen. And, and people, you know, have a hard time listening. You may have learned that too <laughs> in your lifetime, that uh, listening uh, is a gift when somebody has it. A whole conversation is a gift uh, when you can say something, somebody listens to it, articulates it, and gets it through their brain to be able to get it through your brain, uh, through your ears and through your brain. It's really a remarkable thing. It's a work of art. So I love conversations that are works of art. Uh, and um, I think uh, we might be having one ourselves right here now. Thank you, Judith. I appreciate that. Uh, about the idea of forgiveness, because uh, that goes along with that confidence and that power. Uh, when you accept the body-brain connection uh, that's there all the time, working for you, not against you. Mostly it's working for you, just as the brain works for you. The brain is there to do what you want to do. It's like another mother with you all the time that only wants your health and happiness in there. But I, uh, to get back to what I was saying about forgiveness, though, that's part and parcel of the same thing. Your actions will have consequences, and sometimes those consequences are not so good. You've done the wrong thing. Well, understanding it and having the self-confidence and serenity, that word you mentioned early on, is so important there because you can move on then. Once you forgive yourself, that's fine. You just go on. You know you did other things well. You did this poorly. So what? So what? And that's that's uh, the way we should live our lives, isn't it, Tony? That way? Yeah. Uh, one thing that my dad always told me was that uh, the future is always brighter and there's always something that you can do. Now, that's a pretty blanket statement. And well, I said it before, but blanket statement still kind of applies. But I, I, I do believe that you have a, that individuals have a lot of ability to make choices for themselves. Um, but uh, a lot of times, you know, unfortunately, they get stuck in situations where they really feel they feel like they can't. But hopefully, you know, if hopefully that this your 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 principles of dynamic play will um, will gain more popularity. Uh, I'm curious, you know, since this is such a this is such of a, a, a bit of a touchy topic. You know, um, which is that how, which is essentially how people raise their children. Uh, how have your ideas, how has the reception been to your ideas of dynamic play? Um, especially since they somewhat, they somewhat go against those more traditional disciplinarian approaches, uh, towards childcare. Yeah. Well, I can, uh, I can tell you more about how the actual children themselves, their reaction to dynamic play. And I can tell you, that's why I wrote the book. When I realized that 100 children that I was teaching in about four different classes of dynamic play, 100 children were attentive, imaginative, performing, uh, absolutely with it, 100%, I said, wow, I am really onto something. I have hooked into something that they have been using. I didn't give them this to use. They were using it all the time. That Those three ingredients, do you remember what they were, Tony? Let me ask you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it was energy. Imagination <laughs> and the need for self-expression. <laughs> and so that was what I was giving them with these movement activities, all imaginative movement activities that were 
And I think they are a basis, that's what I'm calling them, a basis uh, for joyful learning for the future. It's not just to do now and just to stop, uh, you know, uh, when uh, you don't have that kind of imagination anymore. You want more facts. You want to know more. You want to know what the world is like and all that. So, but you have the basis to start with. The book, uh, you mentioned the book just now, and I want to mention that there are many, many ways uh, to to do this through the book, actual ways, ways to use the arms, the legs, the head, the spine, the body, ways to use space, to control space, uh, how little we get to control space when we're very young, right? This is your space. You can do whatever you want with it. You can float high and off the ground and low onto the earth. You can control all of it from end to end, from corner to corner, using the space with your body and with whatever imaginative uh, you are, uh, uh, what story you are evoking now. Sometimes it's a whole group stories, a group that is uh, is working together, which again is a socialization that is so important with kids that they are taking parts together for a whole, you know, for a, a beautiful whole entity at the end. Uh, and then there are ways to use uh, movement in sports, in nature, in science, as I mentioned before, also making history come alive and, and all these. You have an intimacy with these things by using your own body and your own mind and imagination to uh, interpret it that you don't have just from reading it in a book uh, or having a teacher lecture it to you. So you have an intimacy there that uh, also sort of carries you along with life and makes life a little more interesting too. You look outside, out from your window, you don't see the same things other people are seeing. You see a different chipmunk, a different squirrel, a different butterfly, because you sort of have been there, so to speak. You've been underground with the worm, you know, and you've been up in the skies with the uh, with the, uh, the birds or the bees or the butterflies, uh, and you know their ways, how they fly, how they float, how they land, uh, and how they dig. So all that is, uh, I, ho I hope to include in the book as well as a lot of brain research because uh, now there is so much brain research going uh, on we can see inside the head. Uh, so you have to understand that a little bit to know what is available for you, the neural connections. It's really quite amazing to know it's all inside of you, Tony and me, Judy. <laughs> it's there. It's very exciting. So I, I, I hope to make people excited when they read the book that this is uh, all there and ready to go uh, with your child who's three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, and eleven. It cuts off. Forget about it. You can't do this with phones <laughs> <adults> anymore. <laughs> I'm interested in why you say it cuts off at. 11. What, what kind of changes do you think make it so that those prints make it so you can't really incorporate dynamic play in it? Is there a way to just do it differently? It's only my experience about that, and especially in drawing. I teach some art therapy as well. You know, I've been a teacher at Ramapo College. Of, it's a state college in New Jersey for 42 years, and I taught art therapy there too. And of course, I teach drawing and, and sculpture and the things that I do. But uh, Drawing stops at age 11. You have wonderful, wonderful drawings, uh, at, 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 you know, after that, 11 and 12, uh, people who are dedicated to drawing and are interested. But everyone, every child wants to draw before that. And, uh, and drawing itself allows you to control space. 
that is your space. You can do whatever you want with it. That is your way of seeing people. You can interpret your parents, your siblings, your friends, all through crayon and magic marker on a piece of paper. Uh, so drawing is extremely important for children. At age two, you've got to give that kid a pencil, that's for sure, and some paper. Otherwise, he'll do it on the wall. And so uh, I, uh, I, I believe that the children are very close to the artistic experience from the ages of 2 to 11. And then they get uh, more involved in other things. I still love them, but they're very different in terms of artistic experiences. Unless they're that's dead, of course. That's interesting. Why, why do you think that is the case, that um, they, they change so much within that particular, within around 11, 12? Uh, I mean, uh, certainly there are examples, such as, your, such as yourself, Doctor, um, where they maintain a, the artistic expression much further on in life. So do you think it's typical for it to stop at around 11, 12? Oh, well, the point is, at that time, this is beyond the scope of, of the book that we're talking about. Uh, but um, at that time, they're very much interested in the social engagement of other people, of peers. Mm. More and more peers uh, empower their lives in terms of that. Uh, so they, they leave the aloneness of themselves. Let's put it that way. Art is a lonely experience. You are alone on the paper. I'm a sculptor, so I, uh, I'm alone when I'm up on that ladder or whatever I'm doing, uh, and certainly in writing. So I think that's what it is. There's a period at which you really want to engage with your peers and you want to be accepted Above all, you want to be accepted and fit in. And I think that takes precedence at that time. You leave the page that you were drawing on. But a lot of children continue on then because they are artistic and they do want to continue. And that's wonderful. It's, uh, it's all to the good to do that. That's, that's interesting. I had never considered that particular perspective before about art. But that, that is true because it, it strikes me as being true. Because at the end of the day, the only person who can really put those, who can really form form the idea that's exactly the way that's in how it's in your mind is is well yourself. They uh, our methods of communication, speaking, writing, body language, they they can do a pretty good job, but they'll never get exactly what it is that you're communicating in in an art those small nuances I think would be appreciated. So we're coming soon on time here, doctor. So I just have one more question uh, for you here. You know, for the, for the parents out here who are listening to this or anybody who might want to be a parent and um, so who, who would not have experienced uh, the, the principles of dynamic play during their own childhood, what kind of advice can you give them for breaking the cycle, so to speak, and incorporating it with their children as it's not something that they're really familiar with themselves. So they're trying to pass on to the next generation, but they may not have personally experienced it. Oh, that's such a sensitive question. You know, you're a very caring person, Tony, that you even think of a person who might feel a little ill at ease or not be able to do this to transform herself uh, to uh, to get into this kind of creativity and imagination. Uh, so you have to take the plunge. How is it to get into cold water in the ocean? You know, nobody wants to really 
get wet and cold, right? But you do it because there's some joy at the other end. There's that water rushing over you. There's the dive into the wave and all that. So, yeah, it's cold and it's frigid and it's scary and it's uncomfortable and it could even be rocks under your feet. But the fact is you are taking a plunge and you're doing something that's fun. That's going to be fun. And not only that, but it's going to be resourceful. And every time you do something different, let me tell you, the brain grabs it. The brain, the brain seizes on it, and it adds more neural connections. And you are able to do even more with those neural connections, synaptic connections. They're fantastic. So you are helping yourself each time you do that. I, I have to tell uh, a, a, an elderly friend of mine to get out of bed and to, you know, and to get a little bit verve and, and um, a little go. <laughs> and so I tell him it's his heart wants it. His brain wants it. Everybody wants it inside of you. All the organ, all, all the organs inside of you are anxious for you to get up and go and do something different and new uh, and a little joyous as well. So uh, it's a little long winded to say, yes, it's easy to do. Once you are willing to do it, and that's the whole thing, once you realize there's some valid validity to it, why not? Why not? Right. And at the end of the day, you know, a lot of change can be uncomfortable, especially if you haven't had personal experience before. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's kind of the principle of change. You may not have necessarily had it before, but I think that was a, that was a good way of putting it because at the end of the day, you know, if, 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 if you're listening to this and you think that this is a good idea to incorporate, uh, with your own, with your own children, which Dr. Dr. Peck has definitely, has definitely made me a believer of it. Then thing to what, to that last sentence, I know we're out of time and I'll ask one thing. It's not as if somebody else wants you to do it. Your brain wants you to do it. It's good for you. Mm-hmm. Right. It's you have you have to do it. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, you it, uh, parents have the authority over their child. That's 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 the way the legal system works. That's 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 the way it is. And so you and so they have to be willing to do it for for their benefit as well as uh your as well as the child's benefit and uh and I, I think that it would be beneficial uh to have to incorporate that but it, it can be concerning and it, and you don't necessarily know exactly how the situations are and it will probably involve a little more mental effort than simply telling them to do something directly but if it's worth it it's worth it well, thank you so much, Doctor, for agreeing to appear on the show today. I'm very happy to have come. And the book can be gotten through Rutledge uh, Publishers, R-O-U-T-L-E-D-G-E, Rutledge Publisher, uh, under my name, Dr. Judith Peck, and uh, Rutledge.com is the site. Thank you. Right. And if you want to pick up a book, you can get it there. It is called Dynamic Play and Creative Movement, Powering Body and Brain. Well, thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of The X Show. I'm your host, Tony Shu, 
If you like what you're hearing too, you can follow us on Facebook or subscribe to the various podcasts. We also have a new YouTube that's come that's uh, that I'm setting up. And uh, if you have any questions, comments, concerns, you can reach out to me on the Facebook page or directly to my email at Tony at xucapital.co. Thank you very much for tuning in and we'll catch you next time.